Punk's not dead, and neither is New Wave. Join Buzz and Ben on Static Rage, the Punk and New Wave album review podcast. And just when you thought we were done, do Celtic Punk music. April Fools! Fools! <laughs> That's right, we are back again for our fifth turn of the Celtic Punk music with the real Mackenzie's here on Static Rage. I am Ben, and with me as always is Buzz. How are you doing out there tonight, Buzz? I'm doing pretty good tonight, Ben. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Glad to hear it, sir. So, because you can read, you already know this, we are doing the sixth studio album by the Scottish-Canadian Celtic punk band The Real McKenzie's, their 2008 release, Off the Leash, which was released on Fat Wreck Chords on August 5th of 2008 and has a runtime of 36 minutes. The personnel on this album are The Bone on guitars and some vocals. Also on some background vocals, Karina Denick. Dave Gregg on guitars, Matt McNasty on bagpipes, which I love that name, Cherry Marzolo on percussion, Paul McKenzie, the real McKenzie as it were, uh, on vocals, and he is the main driving force behind the band, Little Joe Raposo on guitars, specifically bass, also doing some vocals, Chris Rest on guitar, Dirty Kurt Robertson on guitar with some backing vocals, Sean Sellers on drums, and Spike Slauson also on guitars. Or excuse me, vocals, background vocals. And I just want to start off by saying this is the band that made it okay, at least for me, to wear my kilt out in public and not give a fuck about who and things. There you go. That is a ringing endorsement. I I personally would like to get a kilt, even though I'm a big fat bastard. So finding a, a kilt for a big fat bastard is sometimes problematic. Um, I do have some Scots Irish heritage, and I slipped into a very terrible Irish accent there for some stupid ass reason. But I, I've always been kind of taking a step back from it because of the simple fact that the English invented the kilt, not the Scottish. So I've always been at war with myself over that. But I, I do want to get one. So for me, it's always a cultural identity thing. Um, no more, no less. Sure. And I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not one of these people that wears it. And I know a few episodes ago we were talking about how St. Patrick's Day kind of annoys me with how Americanized it's been. And that while I'm okay with other people enjoying the holiday for what it is, like I, I hate the character of it. With people wearing a kilt, it's a little more. You ask you ask a lot of Scots today, man. A lot of a lot of people are okay with anyone wearing it. It's kind of like that in joke, if you were. Um, yeah. As long as you understand where it comes from, as long as you're not wearing, if you're gonna wear a tartan, especially um, like black watch, anyone can wear a black watch kilt, for example. Um, not sure I'd wear it in Ireland, but anyone can kind of get away with wearing those tartans. Um, other than that, if you do have a specific clan or sept that you're from. Um, there's nothing wrong with wearing that. and Yeah. Well, I mean, know. anybody who knows my last name, Lindsay, um, the Lindsay clan has a tartan. So, I mean, I can legitimately wear that. Whether I actually would or not, I don't know, just because there's so damn many of us. Um, but I've thought about it. So so the proper way to do it, um, and I won't, I won't give my last name on here just because I, like, I do like being anonymous for people that don't know who I am. But 
my you last name. Is it your Christian name? I know, right? You would think that would be just my absolute name. I'd run with it. Uh, my last name is a sept, which is an offshoot of a clan. Essentially what happens is you have your major clans and then someone decides to marry outside of that clan. And I'm super paraphrasing this. So, I mean, don't, don't take this as for, for you know, God's gospel on this. Um, essentially they break off and start their own little family, but they still remain loyal to that main clan. Um, so my last name is a sept. It's a very popular last name. It's a very common last name in the States. And that's, that's all I'll get to that. Um, well, I'll put it to you this way. I've known Buzz for going on 10 years, maybe longer now, and I don't think I know his real last name. I know his first name, but I think that's about it. Here's a little bit of, of uh, tidbit information for you then, Ben, and for everyone else. My set name does from the parent does come from the parent clan Gun, G-U-N-N. And uh, our clan, clan phrase is Ot Pox Ot Parabellum, so whether peace or war. Nice. That's very fitting. It's uh, very, very interesting. When I looked into it, it's because uh, I was I was big into Scottish history for a while, and I got into the. Of course, my mother's side is is a uh, Lowland Scot and extremely Irish, and my father's side is Highland. That's where our last name comes from. And uh, we did a little bit of research trying to find out where we came from uh, when I was younger, and come to find out that during the War of '45, some of you might know this is the uh, Jacobite Wars. Clan Gun did not actively participate they were actually very neutral in the matter they didn't really care one way or the other so it's kind of fitting that the 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 clan motto is takes a neutral stance on thing and uh whether peace or war which is what pox our parabellum is is uh fitting for that of like we're going to survive one way or the other so i've always enjoyed that very cool rs is endure forte so Endure with strength. Very good one, Snow, too. But uh, what people may or may not know, and uh, Ben, I'm sure you may know this, when I got married the first time, I did get married in my kilt. I was wearing a Prince yeah. Charlie jacket. So I remember. It was decked out pretty well. Um, but yeah, I, I still wear mine from time to time, and when I go see Drop Peak in May, I'll be wearing it as well, with full pride, hoping that no one pukes on it. <laughs> always always a good thing no one peeking on your kill all right so we have spent quite a bit of time talking about very cool things but not this very cool album what were your first thoughts my brother so uh as with all things as with most things we're going to talk about this was not the first album that i heard from this band um and as ben and i were talking right before we started recording i kind of thought back and forth about which album from the world mckenzie's i wanted to cover because for the most part i like everything they've done um, I do like their earlier albums because I do feel like they're a little more energetic, a little more punk as to my standards, if you will. But Off the Leash is kind of where they got really popular. Um, until this point in 2008, a lot of people either you either knew who they were because you ran those kind of circles, or you heard of them, but you didn't really hear them. Well, in 2008, that kind of changed for a lot of people. And a lot of that is two specific songs on here, which I'll name them, but we'll go into a little bit later. And that is the first song, Chip, and uh, song number 11, which is Drink Some More, which is popular for having another Scotsman in their video when they did this. A certain former James Bond personnel, if you will. Indeed, that is... How I became aware of the band was the this, that song in that video. 
because nothing says I am super Scottish other than drinking in a bar in a kilt and singing to the barman who happens to be Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Shoes. <laughs> Just one. I'll take the rapist of 800 Trebek. <laughs> there could be only one. So that's that's how most people kind of got aware of them. Um, and first uh, first going into this album, it starts off very energetic. Um, I like it, pretty much every song on here, even when they get slower. Um, I had mentioned before in previous podcasts, sometimes when punk songs get slower, I don't really enjoy them as much. And it's not the case with this album, and I think a lot of it has to do with the pacing, which I'll get into a little bit later. Um, but overall, I did quite enjoy this album. Uh, ben, what do you think? I also quite enjoyed this album. And the thing that immediately stuck out to me is unlike a lot of bands in this genre, when they incorporated the bagpipes, it didn't feel like a gimmick. It felt like an actual integral part of the band and an actual integral part of the songs. And to me, that is very important now and a lot of the other celtic punk that we did for the the month of march they would incorporate traditional instruments in very well but it, this the bagpipes just felt like another guitar the way that it was used i really liked that and that's something else that i, I think um a lot of people when they get into this band may not quite grasp at first um of course, going back to when we talked about Dropkick Murphys, there are a few songs Dropkick uses where they have bagpipes either at the beginning or at the end of the song or maybe in the middle, but then the electric guitar and bass and drum kind of overcome it a little bit, and then you hear a slightly more traditional punk sound at that point. And bands like Flogging Molly, um, they'll use tin whistles, they'll use, uh, they use violins, they will... Ever, I don't think they've used bazookies before, but other bands have, <clears throat> and even banjos, and that's fine. Um, real McKenzie's when they play, uh, they typically have two, sometimes even three bagpipers at the time. And so to your point of saying that the bagpipes take the kind of the main brunt of this, there's a few songs on here where you might think it's a guitar and it's actually like two bagpipers going at it and doing a very good job of it. Um, it's just something I've thoroughly appreciated because it's almost like instead of being guitar or bass driven, like you have in almost every other band, it's like, oh, this this band is bagpipe driven, which is something you thought you, you might think you never would think to say about a band, but yet here they are. Yeah, I think that's a very good point about this beat. Really, uh, the bagpipe is the driving instrument of this band. Good songwriting too. Um, they uh, none of the, well, I won't say that. Very few of these tracks, which there are 13 tracks, and with a 36-minute runtime, that's moving at a good clip, which I always appreciate. Get in, get out, do what you got to do. Don't overstay your welcome. Um, some of these have some traditional elements, but none of these are traditional songs, at least to my knowledge. And you can correct me on that if, if some of them are. The only one that I wasn't sure about and I couldn't find any information about it, so if anyone out here is listening has some info on that, please correct us. The only one that I thought might have been traditional was uh, the Maple Trees Remember, and that's because that's very... It almost sounds like a Canadian anthem, um, and that's why I thought it might have been a traditional 
uh, traditional piece, and I couldn't find anything about it. So if anyone's got any info, let us know. Otherwise, it's actually kind of awesome that they created a quasi-anthem for this album. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, uh, and when I meant traditional, I meant traditional Scottish music, but you're right. That one does sound like it could be a traditional Canadian song. Um, like you, I don't think it actually is, but just that is the most Canadian song I think I've ever heard. Um, and I liked it a lot. It, it was it was definitely interesting. Um, and I, I don't want to get too far off track in here, but they have done in their previous albums, um, like they did Farewell to Nova Scotia on their on their album prior to this one, which is a traditional Canadian song. And I quite enjoy it. So hearing their version of it was awesome. And they have done that before, but I think this is the first time that none of the songs on here were 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 any kind of cover of anything else. I'm pretty sure all 13 of these songs were just written by them. I think you're right. Although I don't know who the writing credit goes to. And I also want to say something about Paul McKenzie's voice here, because I would not go so far as to say that Paul McKenzie is a great singer, but he is the best singer for this band. He has such a distinctive sounding voice and it just really, really works. And he knows how to operate within his vocal range in a way that other people who aren't skilled singers don't necessarily know how to do. And I found that to be very impressive. I'm going to add on to that for a minute here. Um, when I've talked to people in the past about uh, getting into vocal lessons and singing and what kind of music they want to do, um, I always try to tell people that every, every human being can sing. Even if we sound off key, all of us can sing. What we can't do is we can't always sing the genre of music that we like, and that's what throws people off. I'm glad you brought that up because this is kind of what Paul McKenzie does. I don't see him being an amazing vocalist. I don't see him being able to be one of like the top 10 ever you know, singers out there, but he is good for this type of music, and I think that's what needs to be put in perspective. For anyone out there listening that says, man, I just like a specific type of singing – if, if you're going to sing, you have to understand that what you what you like may not be what you're what you're good at. Is oh, a, totally. a good example of that. I, I mean, as somebody who's been a vocalist, um, I'm a good singer. I can't necessarily sing in well. I definitely can't sing in the air raid styron style singing of like um, the new wave of British heavy metal or stuff like that. I'm a pretty good low register, and I can do good on country stuff but as as far as like hitting high notes getting into the upper range of tenor or soprano that ain't that ain't your guy i can't do that and i realize that so as long as you know that and operate within your vocal range and within to buzz's point the stylistic limitations that your voice has you're going to be fine and I think that's another reason I kind of like this band is they're very much, and I hate to keep going back to this, but much like Dropkick Murphys are, they're very honest about the solid music they do. They know what they are. They know that they're not going to be winning a Grammy sometime soon, but they enjoy what they do and they do it honestly. And the honesty is what I appreciate. It's not an entirely fair comparison because this is their sixth album. The stuff that we did from Dropkick was their first. But to me... This band knows who it is more than Dropkick did. Granted, that was Dropkick's first album. If I listen to Dropkick 6, that might be something similar. But this is, a, like I said, a band that knows 
their sound, their identity, which is actually kind of amazing, too, because before we came on air, Buzz and I were talking about just the sheer number of people who've been in this band. For them to have that identity with the amount of turnover that they have, it's also very incredible. But this band knows what it is. Yeah, there's been like 30 people in this band, and I'm, I don't I don't know that I'm that far off on that number, and I might actually be under that. Yeah, I think you actually are under that. But yeah, it's there's there's been like there's there's been at least thirty, possibly more than that. Um, and one other thing I wanted to kind of throw out before we get specifics into this, um, there's another band that I really enjoy listening to that's very similar to this band, and um, that's a band called Bad Religion. And I bring this up because Bad Religion is really good at harmonizing. And there's a few tracks on here where you can really tell where it comes out at. And I just, I, I had some flashbacks thinking back and forth when I was younger, listening to Bad Religion as a kid and then listening to this band um, when I was in my late high school, early college years. That's actually a pretty good comparison for reasons that will become obvious as we go along. But Gaffigan is, can't carry a tune sometimes, but he is a, in the style that he operates in, is a good singer. Quite so. And um, I think we've covered the surface of this. So, Ben, would you like to take us into the tracks that you really enjoyed and what the highlights were for you? I certainly will, though I want to close one small loop. I just did a quick count of every artist that is listed as having worked or been a member of this band on Wikipedia, and there are 36. Damn, I was close. You were. That was that was pretty good for off the top of your head. So the songs that's really, like Buzz said earlier, I don't think that there's a bad song on this album. Um, but the songs that really stood out to me are the first track, Chip, The Ballad of Greyfires, Bobby, White Knuckle Ride, The Maple Tree Remembers, which may be my second favorite song on this album. Um, Too Many Fingers, Drink Some More, which is my favorite song, but that's just because that is so, so irresistibly catchy that you it's hard not to lose yourself in it. And Guy on Stage and Culling the Herd. All of those I, I are, am deeply in the bag for. And I feel like you just named about 90% of this album. Uh, which pretty is, close to it. Which is more than okay because I'll go ahead and jump in here. My favorites. Let's start out by Chip. Chip is probably their most. I'm not. Well, I'm, I'm backtrack. I don't know if it's their most famous song, but whenever I talk to people about this band, the two songs they've heard are either Chip or Drink Some More. And they're both off this album. So I think it's awesome that they started with Chip. Um, I liked the lads who fought and won, and the reason I enjoy that, and, 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 and Ben, you can jump in here on me if you want. Um, being a small bit of a history buff myself, World War One is kind of one of my favorite periods of history, and that's pretty much what that song is about. Um, great, it's a very condensed version of that, but it's something I thought was a very nice little allusion to. Um, White Knuckle Ride is awesome because that's to me that to me is where the bagpipes pick up, and you can know oh this is this is pretty much the band. Like if it was just a, if it was just like the three bagpipe players and Paul McKenzie singing, I'd be okay with this. Um, that's really what that reminded me of. Uh, the Maple Trees Remember is kind of a backtrack. That's when, to me, when it slows things down in a good way. Um, and there's really not any backpipe on it, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, anyone else always stuck out with me because that's, as a kid, I 
I always remember hearing that song played over and over, especially in bars. Um, Too Many Fingers is amusing. Guy on Stage is a good one. Calling the Herd is very the closest thing to a political song you're going to hear on this. And, of course, Drink Some More is probably my favorite song by this band. Um, it's also a pretty funny music video if you ever get a chance to look it up. So, yeah. No, you should definitely look at the, the music video for that. Um, as far as The Lads Who Fought and One, it's a little too condensed a representation of the war, but it is a good song, and there aren't that many World War One songs. If you really are trying to find songs about World War One, um, the ones that just come to mind off the top of my head are 1916 by Motorhead, which we may do the album that that's on at some point, which is not really even a song so much. It's almost as if Lemmy wrote some war poetry, um, but it's very good if you're unfamiliar. And then there were... I. For those of you who don't know, because I don't think I've talked about it on here, I also do a heavy metal album review podcast called Thunderdome Metal Reviews. For Armistice Day last year, we did two albums that came out on, about World War One. One by a band called 1914, which comes out of Ukraine, which is some fucking pretty deep, heavy death metal and really conceptually deals with what the, the war was like in a... I would say a, a fairly frank and honest way as much as you can a hundred years later anyway. And then Sabaton's the great war, which is power metal and it, it's very fist pumpy and makes you want to have beers and sing along, which is not a bad thing at all, but not exactly on the nose, but Sabaton gives a shit about history. They actually have a historian on staff who helps with the, the songs they write. So I just wanted to plug that. Go check that out if you're interested in other music about the First World War. I actually quite enjoy Sabaton. And while I knew about them before uh, they got super popular on YouTube, one of the things I thought was enjoyable is there's a guy that runs a YouTube channel called The Great War. And what he does every day from 2014 until 2018 he did a specific piece of history that happened on that day during the during the great war and he at one at one episode he had mentioned this band and he actually had the band on talking about some of their songs which i was just like oh yay this is this is like checking all the boxes for me yeah that's actually the historian i'm talking about because that guy is a legit historian and there is a sabaton history channel where he like takes their songs and then tells the historical story behind them well, that's very good to know then, and that that is probably one of my favorite channels on on YouTube. Oh yeah, um, not to take us as far afield as we did, but because I uh, this album does does not need the distraction, uh, so I want to go back to it again. Calling the herd, like you said, is probably the most political song on here, excluding maybe the lads who fought in one, which is not overly political, but I guess if you're singing about a war, it's kind of political. Um, but I just said, I no songs that I dislike. There was not a moment in the 36-minute runtime of this that I felt that it dragged or I was waiting for something to end. That's how it was with me. Um, after uh, the Ballad of Greyfriars uh, Bobby, uh, Kings of Fife was good, but it slowed down a little bit. All Becomes New was slowed down a little bit, but a big thing for me is pacing, and I mentioned this before in previous podcasts. I don't mind if you have a slower song as a band because that to me shows that you're capable of doing more than just like one specific type of, uh, of music. But I like the fact that they slowed it down, then sped it back up, then slowed it down, then sped it back up again. Um, 
And for me, it's kind of at that point, it's kind of like reading a book where you're going to have your slower parts and sometimes that's needed. It's almost like you're getting a nice little break from the hard, fast stuff and you're just enjoying the band for what it is. And then it picks up again and it slows down. Then it picks up again. And then when drink some more comes on, you're just like, all right, let's, let's do this. Cause I, I got to tell you, um, I had a good friend that, uh, passed a few years ago and he was very into this band as well. And so we sang drink some more at his funeral. Um, so it was kind of, it was kind of a touching moment for all of us, but, um, nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing really here was bad for me. No, it's to your point. This ebbed and flowed really, really well. You got anything else you want to say about it, or do you want to go to grading? Um, only thing I can really think of, I think we've already covered. Um, just uh, yeah, it's it's this is one another one of those albums that we can talk about the song specifically if we need to, but it's this is definitely something you're gonna have to listen to yourself and go and just decide if you like or not. Yeah. Um. I guess I could say that this sounds different than a lot of other Celtic punk to me and that it is more punk, less Celt, even though a bagpipe plays heavily into it. But like I said, it's used as any other instrument in the band. It doesn't feel gimmicky or anything. Um, then the fact that the guy has an accent that is identifiably as, you know, Celtic of some sort, um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I might quibble with that designation slightly, but it would just be a slightly thing. And just for those that don't know, um, I think this band originally started in 1992, so they have been around for a while. Um, and while some people may not have heard of this band, um, they were, aside from the, the Pogues, which I mean started every started this whole genre, um, they really were kind of the forefront for than before a lot of other more popular bands were so that's a interesting tidbit of information for those that may not know that indeed sir well i guess we should get to grading then um ben let's let's uh, start with you i'm kind of curious in your thoughts this is an a i mean yeah there's nothing bad on it i like the pacing i like all the songs everything works it needed one or two more quote-unquote great songs to, to move it into the A-plus, but I, I can't put it at anything lower than an A. So that's kind of where I am, um, and, and I'll, I'll, again, do my, my two-grading process here that I use a lot on this podcast. Um I was going back between saying maybe it should be a B plus, maybe it should be an A minus, maybe it should be an A. Uh, for me, realistically, it falls somewhere between A minus and an A, and I say that because musically, if and I've never seen this band live, but I have heard people who have seen this band live, and I've of course seen some of their videos, seen some of their live feeds. Um, they seem to be on point. Like everything, everything I've seen, they seem to be really on point with their music style. And the fact that they can use bagpipes in a manner to where it kind of masks um, the illusion of having an electric guitar uh, as a forefront, to me, is both genius and it's actually well done. Because you're not people that just get on the pipes and you got some guy that just practiced on a chanter for a few minutes and decided to plug it in the rest of his pipes and play it. It's These people are actually talented at what they're doing. And if you take Paul's voice as what it is, 
and the way that everything mixes up musically this is a very good band um and punk wise i mean they're they're very frank about what they say and i i i, I have to appreciate that um i'm kind of like with you on this there's a few times i really wish they could have brought the songs up a little bit and maybe got to that level of greatness um they didn't quite get there but that's of course not always a bad thing so i realistically i would have to give this an a on both fronts and there we go i cannot disagree with anything you said there well my friend what are we going to do next time next time we're going to go drink some more <laughs> indeed we definitely will do that but uh i guess we can't drink some more without a good recipe um a recipe for hate if you will what a recipe for hate that sounds like a bad religion album title Oh, my stars, it does. <laughs> so there you go. Hence another connection to bad religion. Thank you all for joining us tonight on Static Rage. And join us next time when we talk about hate and religion. Not necessarily things, in that order. Two things that may or may not go together, depending how you look at them. <laughs> exactly. Very well. Fairly well.